Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. Let's see. Josh, do you have uh, our vision up there? Do you guys know what the vision of this church is? This is our vision. This is our mission statement. So let's try to, I don't know if we can do this. I have never tried it. But let's try to all do it at the same time. Can we all read it together? Our vision is to see people, the community, and the world transformed through the love and power of Jesus. Everyone is welcome. That's a pretty good vision statement. That's a pretty good mission statement. How do we accomplish that? Um, you know, today is Sunday school kickoff or group kickoff, and I, I kind of feel obligated to talk about groups and community because I think there's an important part of that that we could maybe, you know, even expand the growth of our church. But we can't really do that if we don't understand both of those things, like understand community, understand our vision, and then understand how we actually get to that. So it's got to be, it can't just be, you know, we come here on a Sunday. You know, people always say, Would you, 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 are, are you guys a mega church? No, we're not a mega church in Selma. Uh, are you guys an evangelistic church? Are you a missional church? Do you want to be this? Do you want to be that? And the answer is yes. Yeah, we want to be all that. We want to be a church. We want to be a mega church. We want to be an evangelistic church, a missional church. We want to meet felt needs. We want to be in a community. We want all that. The answer is yes, 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 and yes. There is no no. It's yes, we want all that. But how do we do it? And so I think an important part of it and the reason we're doing a kickoff and really recognizing groups is the way that you accomplish that is through community. There can hardly be church without community. I mean, if you go back and look, you know, everyone wants to be radical you know, in 2023 or woke or whatever the terms are. But, you know, the root word of radical is radic, which means to go back to the beginning. <laughs> so to be radical would mean we need to go back and look, how did all of this start? How did community start in the Bible and how did they have such explosive growth and what they do with all those people? Um, because that could be a great problem, right? Or it could be a bad problem if we don't understand it. So I'm going to get us, we're going to have, this is a Colin class participation uh, service. So let's have this side over here where Holly's sitting. You guys stand up. And just take just a few seconds to look and judge everyone else that's sitting down. Look at their posture, look at their demeanor, look at their clothing, look at their body features, look well, anything that is drawing you to someone, just kind of just take a gander at the middle section and this section. Just take a good note. I'll come back to it in a second. Everybody got it? All right, you can have a seat. This middle section, you get both sides, so please stand up in the middle here. Look on both sides at uh, your neighbors that are sitting down. Who do you see? Who's here? Are they in the same seat? What are they wearing today? (laughs) What are they wearing today? Are they smiling? Is this uncomfortable already? Oh my gosh, are we going to do this again? Why does Bob keep having Matt speak? Uh, Now this section, go ahead and sit down. All right, guys, save the best for last. This section over here, you get to look all the way across the room at everyone. Don't forget Josh and Jason back there. Turn around and get them too. Take a good look at everyone. 
All right, everybody got it? All right, you can have a seat. Now, just hold on to that in your head. I'm going to come back to it a little later, uh, but I want you to just kind of take note, and we're going to jump right in. And uh, in Galatians 6, 2, it says this, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6, 2, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's to love one another as yourself. That's the law of Christ. When we carry someone's burdens, we separate ourselves from being a participant of just showing up and we become part of the process. You become the pastor. You become the shepherd. You become part of the flock. You become part of the body when you start operating as part of the body. So when we carry one another's burdens, what we do is we step out of our seat and we step into a role that Jesus prepared uh, for us a long time ago to walk in the purposes that he has for us. He has you in a specific sphere of influence where that's the group of people you're going to connect with every day. And when we take the time to consider community, when we step out of that into, I'm going to carry your burden, we now become the hands and feet of Jesus, right? That means you can start changing things. That means you can start ministering to people. You don't need a school to do it. You don't need to be ordained. You don't need to go to seminary. You literally just need to carry one another's burdens. Just carry a burden. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says this, Therefore, encourage and comfort one another and build one another up. Here's a question. I love taking notes in my mind during the service. I don't write a lot of stuff down because I've got a great memory still, and so I kind of remember it. But Mel, when he was preaching, said something that really impacted me. I don't have all the answers. I'm just going to ask you some questions. So that's what I want us to do for just a few minutes is to ask yourself these questions. Who's looking out for you? You just looked around the room. Who in this room is looking out for you? Just ask yourself the question. You looked around. Somebody may come to mind or you may look around and think, man, nobody. A better question is, who are you looking out for? When you looked around this room, did you think, man, I've got them on my radar. I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus for that person. I'm going to carry that person's burdens. When you looked around, did that even come to mind? Not that it's a good or bad thing. I'm just asking the question. Who's looking out for you? Who are you looking out for? See, we should have two or three because the Bible says where two or three are gathered, there he is in our midst. We should have two or three people that we're caring for and that are caring for us. And that's how we then become the body of Christ operating as what? Carrying the burdens and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Showing up here is great. This is a gathering where we worship, we get energized, we get fed. But Jason said it during communion. But then we take all of that overflow and we go and then we start being that to other people. And so when you looked around this room when I had you stand up, who's caring for you in this room? 
Who are you caring for in this room? That's a great question. Now, this is a hard question. When you looked around this room, when I had you stand up, who in this room have you seen this week other than Sunday from last week? As we talk about community, a community of believers. Because if we go back in Acts, what was it? They shared everything together. They were with each other all the time. And no one in the church was lacking. If anyone in this room is still lacking, then we still have work to do. Because we should all be able to meet each other's needs and care for each other if we're operating in that axed model of a community. No one was lacking. That's amazing. And the good news is that we do still have lack, which means we still have work to do and we still have ways to grow and we still have things that's left to be done. That's a good thing. And we don't have to do it on our own, in our own strength. Jesus says, I'll be right there with you. I'll never leave you, forsake you. I'll be there to the end of the ages. So he's here walking with us, helping us carry someone's burdens, helping us love someone. So then we get the love back. It just overflows on us. Jason making reference to missions. By the way, I'll pay you later for that, you know, big shout out. Other than talking about Jesus, I love talking about myself just as much. So uh, thank you. Flattery will get you everywhere. Um, but thinking about that as a mission, you know, I always tell teams the, the weird mindset of it is that we're going to go and do something in this country. And it never works out that way. It's that you always go and the team is always more impacted than the people that we were there to do stuff with. Never fails. And so if we're operating in that kind of community, that's what happens. You're the one that gets fed and filled, and you're the one that starts overflowing, and then it just spreads over and over and over. Joseph and I were talking about it yesterday. There's people that do it. Jason was calling reference to some people, and you see it happening, but we've got to figure out a way to multiply that. <laughs> if we want to have New Testament church and New Testament growth and act as a community of believers the way God designed for us to be, because I want that. I don't want anyone lacking. But the three or four people that we're looking out for and you're looking out for them, that means everything. We're not just called to be here on Sunday. We're called to belong in a community. I'm convicted myself when I was over there looking around the room of who I haven't seen this week, who I haven't reached out to, who I haven't done stuff. And I know that we're all busy, and I am definitely not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm just trying to get us to think more of community versus a church service. Because you've got to have both. It's one of the things I love about Bob. He always is saying, yes, let's do both. Well, that wasn't my question. I just wanted to do one. He's like, no, they're both great ideas. How do we do both, right? It's, it's not either or, it's and and but, or and and yes and all of that. But how do we do both? The crazy thing about groups, about Sunday school, about church, is when you really start experiencing real community, it will blow your mind. The things that you are embarrassed about in the world become almost a reward in the kingdom. I, you know, I'm divorced. And so to be ashamed of that in a conversation with somebody in the world, and they may guilt you and talk about it and talk about your relationships with your kids and how you have a broken family and all it's the craziest thing because in the kingdom, when you start talking about it, you start encouraging other people that may have been divorced. And then you start encouraging people that may have 
been on the brink of divorce and now they see what could happen and they change their mind and they don't get divorced. In the kingdom, it shifts everything around. All those things that embarrassed you in the world now become something that's encouraging the body to become closer together. Who better to talk about someone going through bad marriage than who's had a bad marriage? Who better to talk about being an addict than somebody who's had an addiction? Who, do you see what I'm saying? It's those things that we are ashamed of in the world now become our badge of honor in the kingdom, not as a way to uh, brag about what we've done in the past, but a way to brag about what Jesus has brought us through so I now can help carry your burden. And by carrying your burden, I fulfill the law of Christ to love my neighbor, and then you do the same thing because you get fired up and you go do the same thing. Wow, if he can share that in front of everybody at the church, then I could certainly share my little thing, right? That's how we be in community. That's how we love one another. I want to run us through a few verses in Acts just to talk about how the church blew up back then because I think... And I've been in several meetings over the last few months where everybody's talking about revival in Selma. And that's a scary thing to me. (laughs) Because, one, it's a great thing if it happens. Two, it's a scary thing if it happens. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, what happens if that really is true? What would we do with all of those people? (laughs) If we had an influx of people show up, what would happen? These three Sunday schools can only hold so many people. So what would we do? So I'm just trying to think about those kind of things. So let's look. I'm just going to run you through Acts. You can write these verses down or go back later and look at them. But um, I'm not going to keep us all day. But I do want to give you a little bit of background. In Acts 1.15 it says this. It says, On those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters, a gathering of about 120 believers. This was during the upper room at Pentecost. So 120 believers, okay? I want you to try to follow the math with me on this. That's in Acts 1.15. In Acts 2.41 it says, So then those who accompanied his message were baptized, and on that day 3,000 souls came into the kingdom. From 120 to boom, We've taken over Church of the Highlands. We're a mega church. 3,000 people in one day. That's mind-blowing. First day of church, you become a mega church. Acts 2.47, praising God continually and having favor with all people, the Lord kept adding to their number daily. Daily. So if just one person was added today for a year, how many people is that? 365, all right, come on, wake up, 365. So even if it was just one person, we've added 365 people just in the first year. Acts 4.4, many of those who heard the message believed and accepted Jesus as the Christ, and the number of men came to be about 5,000, just the men. Now we've added 5,000 more, just the men. And if there's men, we know there's women and children. So now you're talking 10, 15,000 people. Are you seeing how this is exploding? In Acts 5.14, more and more believers in the Lord, crowds of men and women were constantly being added. The word there is platos, which means a multitude. I can't count them all. There's so many people showing up at Blue Jean, we can't count them all. That's a pretty good problem to have. In Acts 5.28, 
We gave strict orders not to continue teaching his name, but they still did it, filling Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood on us. In Jerusalem at that time, there was uh, maybe 200, 250,000 people. So now we're up to 100,000 believers. You've taken over almost half the city. Half of Jerusalem is now converted. It says you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Could you imagine that in the next city council meeting here? Hey, uh, we're going to have to call Bob Armstrong in because he is filling Selma with the teaching of Jesus. That's a pretty good accusation. You have filled this city with your teaching. Could you imagine that? I imagine you've been called in before for other things. I don't, I don't know if, if Blue Jean has been called in for that. But that's a pretty good problem. Uh, we're going to need Colin to come to the office. He is filling R.B. Hudson with the teaching of Jesus. And put yourself there. That's incredible. In Acts 6.1 it says, And in those days the number of disciples multiplied. Now we've stopped even adding. Now we've moved to multiplication. It's not just we're adding a few. Now the disciples are being multiplied. Multiplying over and over and over. Acts 7, the word of God continued to spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly and a large group of people became priests. I could keep going on this, by the way. It keeps exploding. Acts 21, 20, when they heard it, they began glorifying God and saying, how many of thousands of people are going to believe? Isn't that not amazing? We started with 120 people, probably less than that. Then they get to the upper room and things explode. And now we're over hundreds of thousands of people of growth. And we're not talking about in a uh, 20-year span. We're talking about boom, we're here. What do we do with them? And so this was my fear, this was my thought of why I wanted to kind of talk about this. We've been in several groups uh, home groups, I've been in several meetings, and everyone is talking about revival in Selma. But I don't think we're talking about what happens if that really does explode the way that we're talking about. So Selma has approximately, what, 17,000 people in it? So if we went by the Old Testament that we're talking about how the church exploded in Acts in the New Testament, if we go by that formula, so let's say we do have 8,500 people in Selma get radically saved and start asking for us to do something with them. What do we do? That's what we're asking. If you're praying for revival, you also need to be praying about what do we do with 8,500 people that get radically saved and show up and say, what are you going to do with us? How many can you hold in these three Sunday schools? Even if we went all day, every other hour, how many services could we have? That's a lot of people. The good news is the Bible kind of gives us an idea of what they did with them so we can kind of help figure it out, and we don't hopefully have that problem uh, when it does happen. But it says in Acts 5.42, this is kind of the main verse I want to focus on. It says, day after day in the temple courts... And from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Every day in the temple courts and house to house, they never stopped proclaiming the good news of Jesus. 
how many days? Every day, where? In the temple courts and house to house, they never stopped proclaiming Jesus. That's an interesting verse for me because, uh, you know, in my mind, I, I'm not a yes and both and an and and a, I'm always an either or. I don't know why. My mind always goes with that. I just, don't, I, I just can't get out of the mindset of thinking we can do more than one thing. I'm just so focused on this one thing. But I think the way that you accomplish this, what we're talking about, the only way to accomplish this is to have the and attitude. <laughs> it is to do both. It, it's to do Sunday schools. It's to do a Sunday service. But then it's also to do every day, house to house, and in the temple courts, they're proclaiming and praising Jesus. See, the temple courts was interesting. People in the past have used this verse to say, that's why we have church on Sunday. Well, no, it didn't say they went to church. It said they went to the temple courts. The temple, back then anyway, what it's referencing, the temple, by the way, you'll learn this in the God's calendar class, in the temple back in those days, one person was in the temple and it was a priest. And he went in one time a year during atonement and you really did not want to be that guy. Because if you had any sin, you died. So, I would not have been the priest in the temple because in my mind I would have been thinking there's a lot of stuff that's going to keep me from behind that curtain. So what they did is they met on the temple courts. I've been to Jerusalem. The temple courts, uh, Solomon's temple, those big patio courts hold about 50,000 people. So they could have easily, and, but they didn't have chairs and pews back then. They all stood up. They listened as they shouted from one person to the next, and it repeated back until everyone heard it. So you could have easily had two or three services and reached 200,000 people in a day in the temple courts. But then they also went house to house. It wasn't just they met outside the temple courts every day. They went house to house. That's where they were being discipled. And it wasn't even a, a, a choice right? It, it wasn't even that they had Sunday school kickoff or we're going to launch small groups in September or we're going to do this. This is what you did. You got radically saved and you showed up to gather, right? You showed up to worship. So we'll say that Temple Courts was their Sunday morning experience. That's the attractional part. You've got to have that. We've got to gather as corporate believers and show up and worship, that's part of it. It attracts people. That's the come and see, right? Come and see what's happening in Selma at Blue Jean. That's the invite. The, the, but then you also got to have the small group fellowship in the Sunday schools, in your homes, in the small pockets of the spheres of influence that God has put in your life. It doesn't have to be a Sunday school. You don't have to do a dinner at your house. But you have to have that small group of believers where you're experiencing community. That two or three where you're both caring for each other so you then can walk in the law of Christ which is loving your neighbor as yourself. And I, I, can't, I, I could pick out several of you, but I'll just use myself as an example. In the morning, I go to the gym. We go to, you know, 910 uh, at Tommy Weber's out, out on Landline Road. Well, at that 6.30, 7.30 in the morning class, we have a small group of people. I know their names. I know when they show up. We have fellowship. We talk. We know what the problems are. We know what's going on. People pray for each other while you're there. It's a community, right? At night, when I go to the gym... Uh, we do the same thing. We have a community of people. 
where we're sharing life together. We don't have to get all religious coming up with some grandiose scheme, right? It's just about grabbing two or three people and sharing your life with them. And then taking the strategy that I'm going to give us here at the end, and it will proclaim the kingdom. (laughs) And if we're doing that, if we're being attractional, which is meaning making this an amazing experience where we can pull people in and say, come and see what's happening. Then that takes the pressure off Bob and the leadership and whoever of thinking this has got to be something more than just showing up on the temple courts and praising Jesus, right? This now becomes our attractional thing. Hey, come and see what Jesus is doing. Because we know that the people that's showing up understand the community part and they're going to go house to house every day proclaiming the good news of Jesus. See how easy it is? Works that way, right? Everybody here signing up for a small group? Uh, I'm just kidding. But it's a dual strategy. It's not one thing or the other. We've got to have the attractional, but we also have to have the small group fellowship or we're not experiencing the fullness of the community that God wants us to experience. You may get little drips of it, you know, you, you know, uh, but you're not going to be overflowing to where, like Jesus, Jason was saying, that you're going to grab it and go and tell somebody the power of it. You're just not. I haven't seen it anyway. But I think we could be successful if we did both. And Paul tells us to do it. In Romans 16, 5, he says, Greet also the church that meets at where? Their house. (laughs) In uh, verse 22, when we're talking about communion, he says, Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? That's a pretty good question. Like, I appreciate that we're doing communion, but don't you have homes where you could eat and drink in? Invite youth over, cook chicken legs and throw balls at each other or whatever you were doing? I mean, don't you have homes? You know, uh, in my mind, and maybe I'm, I'm connecting something I shouldn't be connecting, but in that verse where it says, isn't this uh, how you've taken communion in an unworthy manner? Is that not what it's talking about? Is it not talking about that we're not experiencing the fullness of community as God called us to? where we are spending time with two or three people, where we do have two or three people caring for us and we're caring for two or three people, could it be that he was also not just talking about the body and the blood, but he was talking about you're doing this in an unworthy manner? That we've got to get better at caring for each other and allowing others to care for us? He says, and it's serious too, because he said that's why some of you are sick, that's why some of you are dying, is that you're not understanding this community, right? If the devil can do anything, he wants to isolate us and think we've got it okay just being on our own. Especially people that have been hurt in church, and I am one of them. But I hear it all the time say, well, I'm just not a church person, you know? Well, what, where do you get your community? What do you, you know, I always ask that question because I'm not trying to say you've only got to come to church. But I am saying you have got to have community or you're not going to live a full, abundant life the way God intended. I just can't see it happening. It was so serious that Jesus said, hey, man should not be alone, right, when God was making everything. You're not supposed to be doing this alone. And then we see it in the New Testament when he gets ready to send everybody out. He doesn't say, hey, Lee, go take it and do it on your own. You'll be fine. No, it's take, they were going out in pairs, Right? How can I help? Who can go with me? 
And so if we understand that, then it makes sense to me. Wow, this Sunday thing is the temple courts. We can have an attractional Sunday experience where everybody gets to come and new people show up and it's the come and see. As long as we're also having the house to house, which is, hey, get involved in a group. Be transparent, you know, for once. Let somebody in a little more than they have in the past. Find a group that meets in a home or have dinner or invite people over to your house or just start it with just your family where you're sitting around the table just talking about the goodness of God. But let's start. Let's experience the real community that God has for us. In Luke 10, Rick, could you come up and play a little I love the Lord music or something? (laughs) This broad. Something about community. (laughs) Anybody? Free bird? Um, Before I share our last verse, because we're going to get to go downstairs, and I want—I didn't want to go too long. I want us to actually have some community downstairs, and I want us to have the time to be able to do that. But uh, I've used this example before, but I think it's worth repeating again as we're talking about community. Uh, you know, a zebra, if everybody's ever seen a zebra, a zebra has, you know, a bunch of stripes on them. Um, but there's no zebra that has the same pattern. Everyone is unique, everyone is different, kind of like us. We're all different, we're all unique, we all have different gifts and talents and abilities. And what happens is when a zebra uh, feels threatened, they all start huddling together. And so like if a lion was going to attack a zebra, all of them would start getting together and the zebra would form this one big pack and all of the stripes of the zebra would become so distorting to the lion, it would think it was just one huge zebra not a bunch of them. But if a zebra gets isolated or separated from the group, then that's the one that the prey starts targeting. That's the one that they start attacking. And so every time I've ever heard that example, I think about, man, if we, because if we had to be honest, we're not the best uh, at taking care of, of, of the weakest member, right? A lot of times we pile on the old, you know, at least I'm not as bad as them, or what sin did they commit, or we start using their gossip as our prayer chain, and all of that kind of stuff. And I've been guilty of that. But if we would band together, right? If we would stay together, how much more powerful would we be as a church, as a community, if we saw somebody that was isolated and off by themselves and we went and got that person and brought them back in, right? Brought them into community. I, I mean, I don't know all of the Bible, but I believe I've heard it said like Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one. And so that one that's isolated, we pull them back in. Well, how do we do that? Well, in Luke chapter 10, that's exactly what I would have played. In Luke chapter 10... It gives us a strategy. Jesus gives the strategy on how we do this. How once we leave this temple court, how do we go out now and do this in the community? He says, wherever you go, house to house, enter by saying, peace to this house. If a man's peace is there, your peace will rest on him, and if not, it will return to you. Stay at that house, eating and drinking whatever you're offered. 
for the worker is worthy, worthy of his wages. Then it says, don't move around. If you enter town to town and they welcome you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in everything that they need and then tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Jesus gives you an evangelism strategy in Luke 10 that worked then and still works today. And it's simple. It says, just bless. Holly does it sometimes now at our house. She's just walking around our neighborhood blessing our neighbors. She's not talking to them. She's just talking to their house, their yard, their cats, their dogs, their kids. Like, just bless them, Lord. Bless them. Just walking around blessing. Just bless. There is a powerful thing that happens when you just bless. Especially those that you're aggravated with. It's hard to bless somebody and stay mad at them. So you're just sending blessings out, right? Oh, Lord, just bless them. Bless them. Just bless them. Bless them too. Bless them. Bless them. Right? Let it just become a natural thing with you now. Somebody cuts you off. Oh, bless them. Just bless. Then it says fellowship with them. That's what we're about to do. We're about to go downstairs and fellowship. Bless them. Fellowship with them. Then it says meet felt needs. How can I help you? What you got going on? What can I do for you? Is there anything I can do to make your life better today? Just meet a felt need. It will blow your mind how the smallest act of kindness will change someone's heart like that. Just meeting a felt need. Then it says, proclaim the kingdom. Well, why does it put that at the end? Because in the past, I've told you guys before, when I first got saved, my go-to line was repent or you're going to hell, Bob. I mean, that was my evangelism. I had a bumper sticker that said it on the car. Repent or you're going to hell. Didn't win a lot of people, but it did start a lot of conversations. I like this strategy better. You're just blessing. You're just fellowshipping. You're just meeting needs that come up. And by doing that, I promise you, I've seen it happen in my own life. Why are you doing this for me? Then I get to share why I'm doing it. Or I get to share why somebody did it for me at some other point. Then you can say, it's just because of Jesus. We just love God, and we love you, and we want to see you transformed by the power and love of Jesus. Bless, fellowship, meet felt needs, then proclaim. And see if that doesn't change things. See if this place doesn't fill up with people. Who in here doesn't want to be blessed? Who doesn't want to fellowship? Who doesn't want their needs met? I know I do. So let's spend just a second while Rick is playing this amazing worship music. Let's stand up. And I want you to turn around because you looked around earlier and I'm sure God has highlighted someone to you, but I want you to grab one person or two and I want you to ask them, how can I meet your felt needs today? <laughs> is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can pray for you? And we're going to do it. And then I'll pray and we'll dismiss. So look around at who you saw, who kind of stuck out to you. Grab someone, just bless them, or just fellowship for a few seconds, or meet needs.
guys can you guys can stay where you are. I just want to pray for us, and uh, then we're going to dismiss. And we're not stopping. We're going to go downstairs, continue this community as we eat and fellowship, meet needs, and proclaim. Uh, so uh, let's just, if we can, I want to close us out. Just say a quick prayer, um, real quick. What's your name, sir? Jeff. Chad. Your shirt caught my attention, and when I was getting ready to pray, I just kind of saw a picture of Jesus, and I'll, it may not mean anything to you, but I just saw him kind of pressure washing your driveway, and I felt like the Lord was saying that he is washing everything away, all the hurt, all the past, anything that you thought might have happened that didn't happen, but it's just washing everything away, and you're getting a fresh start, and so I just felt like I wanted to share that with you, so... Lord, I just, uh, we thank you. We thank you for community. We thank you that we have a place where we can be attractional, but we can also do the small group fellowship. And so help us to do that better, God. Help us to bless, help us to fellowship, to meet needs and proclaim better than we ever have. And so we thank you for the food downstairs and everyone that prepared it. And as we continue to fellowship down there, God, you just be right in the midst as we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you downstairs. All of our small group leaders will also be down there. If you have any questions, we'll take questions and talk more. So see you down there. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, We'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.